1: which no good and camp you're listening to the and campaigns church politics podcast with justin Gibney. that's me and the windy city representative the baddest brother above the mason dixon line my play cousin the right reverend christopher butler because Chris, we've been starting this uh podcast off with the same subject for quite some time uh which has been the chicago bears who we both have an affinity for
2: i said we could not do that if we want to
1: We could not do that. We could not do that. But I want to be consistent. And so we'll we'll, we'll start off with the fact that they took another L uh, that again, I don't I don't think they they did anything. I don't think they did the necessary things to protect uh, one of my favorite players who is Justin Fields. And all we can do is hope that they improve. Do you have anything to provide us that's not delusional about that will give us hope for the Chicago
2: Bears? Actually, I do. So the uh, the sports columnist for the Chicago Tribune actually took a a, a similar analysis to mine uh, in in Monday's Tribune um, and said that the uh, the Vikings game actually it didn't represent a breakthrough, but it represented a a step forward. Uh, so you know, it's uh, slow and steady wins the race. You know, we we just got to keep getting better and better.
1: Okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, keep hope alive. I think there's even more hope in something else. I think you might find more hope in the fact that probably within the next couple of weeks, we will move the the the, the topic from the losing Chicago Bears to the losing Los Angeles Lakers. So, uh, 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 you know, in time, we will surely move from one losing team to another and I think maybe you'll you'll enjoy that that second one a little better. So you know that's coming. The
2: just... podcast is still going to be here when we uh, when we start talking about the the winning Chicago Bears dominating the uh, NFC Central. It's, it's coming.
1: Like I said, look forward to us talking about another losing team soon. Uh, but I just want to give you something to look forward to, man. There there is light at the end of the tunnel, even for a Bears fan like us. Um. Well, we got some good. I think we have some. I don't know if you want to call it good, but we have some topics. I think some people want to hear today. Uh, and then before we get into it, you know what we do. We want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Fetzer Institute, for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. Also, to all those other folks that give small and large donations to us. Thank you for uh, being a part of this movement and, and helping us kind of move forward. But let's get into it, Chris. Uh, grab your Bible. Get your mind right and prepare to think, not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. And let's start off with some scripture. Uh, Matthew 12, 34, in part, says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Chris, there's been some interesting conversations about. um. Uh, politics within the black church and theology within the black church on social media and elsewhere. And I say interesting where I probably should just say disappointing, uh, unfortunate, uh, maybe even uninformed. The, the list goes on. Uh, but there's been a lot of commentary. And some of this commentary came from Joel Barry, who I, I believe is uh, part of the Babylon Bee or works for the Babylon Bee. And here, here's something that that came out of this conversation. Why is it so far fetched? This is his quote: "To think maybe the majority, the majority black church is theologically bankrupt, just as black communities are financially bankrupt after years of being cut off from theological and financial resources." Um, for one, as I always say, the black church isn't a monolith, but the idea that we are theologically bankrupt because we've been cut off from theological resources is is ridiculous. I, I know plenty of folks, Chris, who have theological resources, whether they are white evangelicals or progressives, who have bad theology. I've read slave narratives of people who were cut off from all sorts of things that had better theology than the people that were enslaving them. Uh, that comment, though, I think, comes from a deeper type of really supremacy um, that that we see too often when it comes to theology, but also when it comes to politics, Uh, because there's also this feeling that there's just deep corruption within how black people enter into politics and, and really um, how we practice politics. Um, Now I'll be honest with you when I'm in more ideologically conservative circles, when I enter into those spaces, I am often asked how a Christian, how as a Christian, can I identify as a Democrat? And I'll be honest, I'll back up a little bit, too, because that question is is often asked sincerely and politely. Right. It's not necessarily part of the type of comment that we just heard. So I do. I do want to be clear about that. But I do think it comes mostly from people who are kind of steeped in white evangelical culture, Um, because I grew up in a family where pretty much everybody was Christian and everyone was Democrat. Now, I never took that to mean that all Christians had to be Democrats. I still don't think that. Um, But I think it does show that outside of those circles. A lot of Christians don't accept that line of reasoning. Right. Many don't see being a Christian and being a Democrat as mutually exclusive. Now, as I as I answer this question, you know, how can you be a Democrat and a Christian or a Christian and a Democrat? I first want to say this, and this is probably fairly true for both of us, but I'll let you speak for yourself. You'll be hard pressed to find a political operative who is less interested in the success of either party than me. You'll probably find a less. It's hard to find somebody who is more lukewarm when it comes to party than I am. Uh, Both parties could dissolve today. And I promise you, I wouldn't care. I promise you, I would not shed a tear I prefer the solidarity party uh, when it comes to party for me it's just something it's 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 a practical thing right uh, I have no emotional or sentimental connection with either party. you could say whatever you want about them I may correct you, but it ain't gonna hurt my feelings um it's not part of my identity outside or inside of politics to me, party is a tool and nothing else but I do think this question has to be answered and I do want to be fair to the people that ask this question. So while you have the people that go way off into the whole, you know, black community in general is theologically bankrupt. I think there's a more reasonable question to say, okay, help me understand how these things connect. Um, I don't think it's rocket science, but I think it's, it's worth having a conversation and explaining. I think those are questions people should feel open to ask if they really want to hear the answer not just trying to uh, prove a point. Right. And to be honest, I think it, you know, I think it would be dishonest of us to pretend that that question comes out of nowhere or to pretend that it's always completely unfounded because the truth is the Democratic Party's platform includes some things that I think we would agree are explicitly and directly counter to orthodox Christian beliefs. I don't think that's exclusive to the Democratic Party, but I would acknowledge those things. And that includes things like the disregard of unborn life, I think. Christians should not ignore that. I think it includes things like uh, the party's agenda when it comes to sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, while my take on those things is different than a a lot of white evangelicals, not all of them, but some of them for sure, I address and critique those things all the time. I challenge Christian Democrats who are being lured into affirming that agenda or pretending that it's not a big deal, which is maybe the easier route. Life and God's design for our relationships, for our identities, for our bodies is a major deal. Now, what we tell other people to do with theirs or say the law should tell, force them to do with theirs, that's when it can become complicated. But it's something we need to address. Life matters. And the, the life of un, innocent, unborn baby should not be taken. Christians who come to think otherwise or say it's not a big deal, I would say, are hugely mistaken, whether they're black, white or anything else. That's not something that we on this show have ever condoned or that we will ever defend. Uh, those issues, though. Aren't the only issues to consider when it comes to life and God's design. Racial I- racial justice as well involves many life issues throughout history. This country has too often denied or taken life based on race. It's valued life or valuated life based on race. It's imprisoned life based on race. The lives of black men are too often taken by government authorities based on race. And there's one party that is much less likely to acknowledge or act on that policy-wise. Now, we know that these things can and probably should be addressed, at least in part, within the political process. But again, here in Georgia and elsewhere, it's the Republican Party that has perennially made attempts to put up roadblocks to Black participation in the political process. So if a black person says and this is we can look at this throughout history, I mean, and in effect, what that does is it's restricting our, our ability to protect ourselves through voting. And you can look in the church politics archives. I've talked extensively about the history of voter suppression and the implications of voter suppression. And to look at that history, it should be no uh, mystery Why some black Christians would say, you know what, this isn't the party for me. I'm not even sure if this party wants me to participate in the political process. And please miss me. And I hear this all the time. Please miss me with the overused and completely misleading talking point that says it was Democrats who supported slavery. Every time this subject comes up, somebody says it like it's some kind of major Trump card that they can always pull out that nobody else knew. Look, while that is factually true, it it purposefully misses a point. And when you look at it within historical context, that's a deceptive point to make. The Democrats who supported slavery were Dixocrats or Southern Democrats. Any honest political historian will tell you that the Dixocrats who supported slavery and then supported segregation became Republicans. They brought that attitude, that messaging and that policy push, policy prescriptions into the Republican Party and parts of the Republican Party invited them in and played into it. This is what's called the Southern strategy. The infamous conservative political strategist Lee Atwater explained the evolution of the Southern strategy by saying this. You start in 1954 by saying n-word, inward, inward. By 1968, you can't say n-word. That hurts you. It backfires. So you say stuff like busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now that you're talking about cutting taxes. All these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of, of them is that blacks get hurt worse. Than whites. This is not a quote I made up. This is a quote from Lee Atwater. Here you have a strategist admitting that a major part of their strategy was to motivate white people by dehumanizing and harming black people. And I'll be honest, many people, including myself, saw the vestiges or the further evolution of that in the Trump campaign. In the way he talked about immigrants and in the way that he talked about others. Some of the unbiblical positions in the Republican Party may not be explicit, but they're no less harmful. So what I can do is I can acknowledge some of the things that are unbiblical in the Democratic Party and still tell show you what's unbiblical in the Republican Party that may turn off not only black Christians, but many other Christians. Now, should this mean that the black church should write Democrats a blank check uh, from our banked political capital? Absolutely not. Should we give them our unconditional support? No way. And folks who have acted like that, I'll bring a challenge to them as well. But that's not what we're talking about at this moment. What I'm trying to show you is based on the history, based on the positions that people have taken, that it is reasonable understandable and maybe even advantageous for a lot of black Christians to support the Democratic Party. Now, I know and I know Chris knows black Republicans, too. I have him in my church. uh, There are people that I have great respect for. So this isn't to say that black people should or have to vote for Democrats, but it is an answer to the question that how could you be a Christian and be a Democrat? That's what we're answering here. We have to understand that a critique of one party Is not a promotion or defense of the other. All right. Then we have something else. So this is a this is stuff that comes up all the time. But then this week we have something that Chris that kind of proves my point. Or maybe it was late last week. Late last week we had former Auburn a former Auburn football coach Alabama Senator uh, Tommy Tuberville go into this rant that proves that these attitudes and. That, that that some people in the, in the Republican Party are still motivating their constituents based on race. And here's what he had to say during this rally. He said, Democrats are pro-crime. They're pro-crime because they want to take what you've got. They want reparations because they think the people who do the crime are owed that. BS, they're not owed that. Now, Chris, as we look at this comment, I don't want to read too much into it, but I don't think we have to read too much into it to know that it was an awful statement. He's bringing up reparations. When you bring up reparations in America, we know who asked for reparations. Black people. Right. It's implied in what he's saying. So he's saying that black people want reparations because they want what you have. They want reparations because they think people who do crime are owed what you have. They aren't owed that. So we're linking uh, We're linking black people to criminals through talking about reparations and taking what you have. Again, he's using racial animus, using racial stereotypes Using dangerous images of black people to motivate voters in the same way that's been happening in this party since the Southern strategy started or before. Why would I trust him to make policy concerning black lives? That mentality that that you hear from coming from a senator, a sitting U.S. senator, has life implications. Black people by law were discriminated against for hundreds of years. But he's going to say that we're just criminals that want your money, that want what you have. And that's a mentality that that's an attitude that's too often been used to motivate people to vote. And we have to ask, why does that motivate people to vote? Why are we still using that type of language? And this has nothing to do with the hearts of Democrats being pure. This ain't about Democrats. Let's talk about why somebody might hear something like that coming from a leader that really wasn't uh, rejected or, you know, condemned by Republican leadership that I've seen. And say that this is the place for me and and say that this is where I want to run to with open arms. Again, the point here is why somebody might say. As a Christian that I don't necessarily want to be in this party. Go ahead, Chris.
2: So I I think that you really got at the heart of things for me Um, because people ask me that question, obviously, uh, a lot. How can you be a Christian and be a Democrat? And when I answer the question, I'm usually answering the question that I think people are actually asking, which is how can you be a Christian and not be a Republican? Because I think if you look at uh, my political involvement, your political involvement, and even uh, political data, uh, particularly like in more recent elections, like, you know, Post twenty ten, you really don't see a black community that's like so hyper Democrat. It's it's really a black community that's not Republican, right? Like uh, uh, identifiably not Republican, and it's because you have a lot of these ideas. I mean, so uh, if, if I can just like for one second speak to the idea of the black church being cut off from theological resources, to me that's such a, a that's a relatively dumb statement. And it's, it's, it's actually a, a theologically difficult statement to make um, because it puts theological resources on the same plane as material resources. Uh, and, and that puts me in the mindset of Jesus in Matthew, chapter 22, talking about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and to the Lord uh, what is the Lord's. Um, I don't know that you if, if we agree that the real source of theological resource is the, the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit then it it's hard to imagine that a people can be cut off socially from those theological resources unless you think that you and, 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 and that like white evangelicalism is the source like of like theological uh, uh, you know sort of blessing, right you, you you are not the theological resource. and so being cut off from, White evangelicalism is not equivalent to being cut off from theological resources. So I'll just sit that out there because I think as a as a black churchman, I think that's an important distinction to make. But when, when we put this conversation into into like the political discourse, um, one thing I always point out to folks when I answer this question is when you talk about being a Democrat or being a Republican, what does it mean to you to be a part of a political party? Right. So if, if, if being a Republican to you means that the uh, the allegiance, your allegiance to like the national party leadership, uh, the content of the national party platform is like part of your core identity, Um to me, that's problematic, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. And when I talk about being a part of a party, I'm, I am not trying to express that my allegiance to national party leadership or even local party leadership, uh, or, you know, the content of the party's platform is somehow part of my identity so that who I am shifts and changes with the party's platform and the party's leadership. To me, being a part of a political party simply is a, a functional decision. That is made along the lines of where can I, in my context, do the most good for the broadest uh, sort of view of, of my values and the things that I'm trying to pursue in the civic space? Yeah, um, where can
1: I be most effective? Right.
2: Yeah. And so inside of the party, you advocate and you work toward the, the things that you believe in, uh, which is why, uh, you know, personally participating in democratic politics, especially democratic politics uh, in the state of Illinois, city of Chicago, you know, I'm, I'm often the the person challenging Democrats, uh, you know, on the values that I embrace and where there are differences. I, I think most of the people in, you know, in, in this state, in the democratic party, know where, where I stand on those issues. Um, and, Many have had the opportunity to be challenged, uh, you know, in, in those places, and so it's, it's it's not a surrender of values one way or the other to be a part of a political party, because you can uh, inside of the political party advocate for values that you know uh, depart from the national leadership and the party platform, and I think that's actually good and healthy uh, for the political parties, and I think that that's the big problem what like the statement that we see from the senator uh yeah he made it but the bigger problem for me is that nobody at least that i've seen um has challenged him on it no nobody who's like a a leader of the party uh has stepped up and i mean th- this is not like some guy like a locally elected dog catcher right? like this is a united states senator um you know, actually making these statements, but nobody uh, in in, like leadership in the party stepped up and said, hey, that's not what we believe, right? And so the fact that there's no, uh, you know, I I, I would say, where is the groundswell of of, of people coming at that statement? Because it's clearly um, just like a, a, it's a racist statement. It's an ignorant statement. You're arguing against reparations. And I think there are plenty of arguments legitimate arguments to make against reparations. But the argument that we shouldn't have reparations because black people are, quote, the people who do the crime, uh, that's not an intelligent argument to make. Um, it, it's just based on fear-mongering, ignorance, and racism. And somebody you would think would step up and, and challenge that. And, and once I answer the question about me not really participating as a Republican uh, in politics and participating in politics as a Democrat... I go further to remind people that when I got involved in politics, uh, when I first was getting bitten by the by the political bug as a kid, this is like uh, 1998, 1999, um, and you're in the age of kind of like uh, 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 George W. Bush, early George W. Bush. Uh, compassionate conservatism and, and that whole vibe, and I had seen because of my family, people participate in politics, and I actually was trying to be a Republican as as a young black kid on the west side of Chicago. I was trying to be a Republican, and I literally could not find the door to the Republican Party. Right, like there wasn't a Republican, um, you know, committee office in my neighborhood. There, there, there's like no investment or no sign that the Republican party was trying to be a part of the community that I was a part of. And that's how I actually end up in democratic politics in the first place. So take that narrative, fast forward to today, um, you know, I've been involved in politics, not saying I'm like the, the the biggest political operator in the state of Illinois, but I've very much been involved and have tried to make in this current election outreach Uh, to Republican candidates. It's hard to get folks to even like sit down for a meeting. Uh, You know, literally, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars being spent in campaigns. And it wasn't until yesterday that like a Republican operative calls me up and is trying to talk about like how to get black people to vote pro-life. It's like, well, people have already started voting. Like early voting is actually going on right now uh, in the state. It's a little late. For that, I think there is a huge opportunity for Republicans, like nationally, uh, in in the Black community, over the next decade. But right now, I don't see anybody really trying to take advantage of that because when you look at what's happening in our politics, uh, you do see the political landscape shifting quite a bit uh, to be more, you know, of a of a class thing than than a race thing. Uh, And it's I think if the Republican Party really made a concerted effort from the leadership level to actually push the Dixiecrats out, right? You know, send them back to the Democratic Party or something. I don't know. Or just but, stop
1: pandering to them, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, if there was a, a an approach, I think that there could be some opportunity there. But I think that, that you don't see the party investing a lot and coming toward the community. And you do see the party pandering, investing a lot, and uh, in, in this approach to politics, I don't know that long term is actually that smart or that is long term going to be that effective. Um, but, you know, I, I think people do see value in it right now. And that's why you don't see um, enough people and people in, in the right spots. Uh, challenging that stuff. If, if you talk to Democrats, though, they will tell you that what I'm saying is true because they're losing Black votes uh, yeah. for similar reasons, right? Because the, the Democratic Party is is doing something similar in terms of taking a lot of uh, what is sort of culturally Black and, and Black church stuff and and casting it as somehow like regressive and off and, and to all in those ways. And, and by doing that, they're losing Black votes but it's going to be very hard to get those black votes to go to the Republican Party if somebody can stand up and make this kind of an argument, and and nobody's going to say anything about it.
1: Yeah, especially in mass, right? It's going to hard. It's going to be hard to bring those folks in mass. I think you'll even see this, you know, this year, uh, more black people going to certain candidates, right? Um, but it's going to be hard for that to happen in mass. And listen, the message here isn't that all Republicans are racist. The message here is that for too long the Republican Party has harbored racists and has felt it needs the votes of racists to win and therefore it has pandered to racists for too long which is a reason that a lot of black christians say i'm not going along with it right now, i had somebody hit me up cuz I, I i tweeted on this recently and one of my friends was like a guy a brother i know and care about was like everything that republicans do is is for white supremacy and that's why I draw. I'm like, bro, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not going there. But like that, that's not true. But again, there's been the harboring. Um, Nobody's surprised that Tuberville didn't get, get a, re- a major rebuke from the, the Republican Party, you know, the National Republican Party from McConnell folks like this, because they don't want to offend the folks. And, and that's not to say everybody agrees with what he's saying. But you're not willing to make the correction, especially during the election, because you know what he's saying is going to motivate. Just listen. Listen to the applause. There's a video of it. Listen to the applause that he gets. That type of race baiting type stuff still motivates a group of the base within that party. And they're not willing to untether themselves or, or, you know, to to not be somewhat entwined with that group. And until that happens. People are going to have plenty of good reasons to say, no, I'm not going to be part of that. It may be one thing for me to say, man, some of your parties and some of your policies in the Democratic Party, I disagree with. Maybe I can push back against those or whatever. But if you feel like people don't even want you to be a part of the process, if you feel like a certain part of a party uh, thinks that you're criminals and you just want what they got. Oh Guys, again, it's not rocket science. If you really want to understand what's going on, if you really want to know the historical context and be honest about the historical context, it's not rocket science. The problem is to start, we don't want to be honest about the historical context.
2: And I think that's huge, especially when you're talking about trying to get people to change party, right? Like it's, it's an easier ask to get people to kind of stay with the party that they're sort of already inclined to be with you're trying to get folks to change party you you really can't have much of that not coming from somebody a senior in the party as a sitting united states senator senator and nobody says anything nobody's and nobody's surprised like when you heard that it's like man
1: that's bad but it wasn't like i can't believe that's right that he said that you could believe he said it it was unfortunate but and why is it not surprising Why is it not surprising the response or or lack of response? Why is that not surprising? Now, we know you and I know personally that there's racism in the Democratic Party, too. We also know that when something like that is said, it's checked. Right. There's, There's something similar is going on in California where folks got caught on the tape saying such and such. They're being checked and confronted right now by people in the party. That's not happening on the other side. And again, while we think abortion is a a critical issue and a tragic issue, it's not the only life issue. And that's something that has to be, you know, that we have to address, too. But go ahead, Chris.
2: It's really about what you do in the 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 sort of off season, Right. Like the election is not the the best time. Even my friend who I spoke with on yesterday, you know, the, the election three weeks out from the election is just not the right time to start building a new coalition. Right. Like. This is going to be work that the party is going to have to decide to do. Uh, And in defense of my friend, he gets this stuff. He's not a decision maker in the party. He's an operative working in the party. But this is stuff that you got to commit to over the long term, just like the Southern strategy. And if you are a Republican listening to this, I just say this to you because I said to all of my Republican political friends, this strategy of pandering to racism may feel good for the next election or two but I don't think it is long term going to be like a, a super effective political strategy
1: yep I, I agree well we will be right back
0: on the Church Politics Podcast this episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith hope
1: And we are back on the church politics podcast because I was reading an article uh, in the online publication un- called unheard heard as in like a herd of cattle. Right. Getting out of the herd, thinking for yourself, things of that nature. It's, they have some pretty good articles. I don't agree with all of it, but I think it's worth reading uh, as we try to break out of our ideological herds or tribes. And here's what was said in this article, which I thought it was, you know, I thought it was kind of deep. I've heard this before, but there's some some new uh, information that's come out on it. It says that liberals, especially liberal women, are significantly less likely to be happy with their lives and satisfied with their mental health compared to their conservative peers aged 18 to 55. This is the big takeaway from a uh, 2022 American family survey, a striking new poll from YouGov and Deseret News, which found that liberals are about 15 percent, 15 percentage points, excuse me, less likely to be completely satisfied with their lives. The survey goes on to find that liberals are about 18 uh, percentage points less likely to be completely satisfied with their mental health than conservatives. But the problem appears to be uh, especially acute for liberal women who register the lowest levels of satisfaction with their lives and mental health. Indeed, only 15 percent of liberal women in the age group surveyed are completely satisfied with their life uh, compared to 31 percent of conservative women. Likewise, 15 percent of liberal women are completely satisfied with their mental health compared to 36 percent of conservative women. Two family factors have uh, a lot to do with the ideological gap. It's marital status and family satisfaction. Given that conservatives aged 18 to 55 are about 20 percentage points more likely to be married, as well as 18 percentage points more likely to be satisfied with their families. The lesson here is obvious. And this is you know, this is them talking. Marriage and family are strongly linked to happiness and to personal mental health in particular. That's something that I think churches should be paying attention to. Um, I don't think it I don't think at all that this says that, you know, single people are doomed to be unhappy. I think it says that we all need family and we can be single and have family as well. Um, But we all really need family. And, Chris, this brings me back to a point even made by the uh, Italy's new prime minister, where she was saying how pop culture, Western culture, Pulls us from the roots of family and from the roots of church and whether I agree with her on anything else. Again, we said we don't really know her like that. I may be condemning her, uh, you know, in, in three weeks. I don't know. But I do think that's true. I think pop culture in the West, which is controlled. It ain't controlled by conservatives. It's controlled by progressives. Takes the root of family, takes the importance of family, community and especially church. And takes that away from people as less important and more kind of just about us as individuals and kind of like that self-actualization aside from family, whether it be nuclear family or extended family. Um, and I think that does. I can see how that has a serious impact on me- mental health and just happiness. Any thoughts on this article or I guess this survey in general, Chris?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think in the article, I don't know if they did it on purpose or or by uh, mistake, that, that last uh, piece of what they discuss, it sort of sounds like they're saying that this survey proves that family is important to happiness and mental health. And I don't know if they're arguing that or if it's just like a strange way of, of wording it, because there's a lot of research that, that indicates that family, faith, and community uh, contribute significantly to to mental health and and to to family life, uh, you know. So, and and I think that's important because there's a uh, there's another article that probably somebody is going to look up and point to, because uh, there's another piece of research that came out uh, recently that shows, or at least that that seems to indicate that conservatives may not be as much happier than liberals, uh, and maybe liberals might even be more happy. Uh, than conservatives. Uh, the argument that this research is making is that most of this research, because you know, there's a large body of research that sort of points to this idea that conservatives are more happy than liberals. Uh, these researchers say that you know that research is, is rooted in survey data and self-reporting. Uh, and so they posit that maybe conservatives are just more likely to self-enhance. Um, and they looked at the number, like they, they, did like big data analysis of, of like positive emojis and social media posts and the uh, I don't know exactly how they measured this, but they say they measured the intensity of people's smiles and their LinkedIn profiles and that, and that based on those data, liberals actually <laughs> liberals are actually happier than conservatives. And so, for me personally, and I, you know, I maybe I'll have uh, my brother come on because he's a PhD sociologist. I'm not, but to me, I think that the number of positive emojis and the uh, intensity of the smiles in the in the LinkedIn certain, like profile pictures might be undercut by other types of realities, right? Like th- this idea that for a long, long time, family, community, faith. Uh, before we were even in this intensely bifurcated political environment, this is like long-term research to indicate that family, community, and faith contribute to mental health, uh, social stability, and happiness. Um, to then come back and be like, well, if you use a lot of positive emojis and you smile big on your LinkedIn profile, it, 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 it may be, and again, like I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a psychologist, but it may just be that, Our culture, like in our generation, like we we all have learned, uh, in some ways, to to put forward a happier, more, you know, put together version of ourselves for our, you know, sort of social media presentation. Um, And so, you know, I, I just point this out because I know that somebody's gonna like look at that research and be like, "Yo, we don't even have to talk about this because conservatives are not happy." Than liberals because if, if you weird. want
1: to find a counterpoint one thing the internet can do is give you a counterpoint right um that that particular one there may be some better ones that particular one seems kind of like junk science to me uh i, if, I could I, be wrong I, but that doesn't sound
2: this seems like the one that people if, if you want a counterpoint this seems like the one that people go with. to um, but yeah, again, like I'm, I'm not a sociologist, so I, I, I don't know, but it feels like junk science
1: too. And, and I would say the one that we named earlier, YouGov is isn't like, I mean, that's a reputable, right? I mean, they do reputable surveys. Uh, this isn't something that was just pulled from some group that just comes out with propaganda. Uh, I think it's something to look at, but, but here's my thing, Chris, I think we fail here. If we just look at this as some sort of ideological victory. Oh, it proves that conservatives are more right than liberal. I think that's I think that fails. Uh, I think we have to look at it as there are suffering people. Why are they suffering and how can family, faith and so on help help with that? Um, I've seen uh, a book I was reading recently for the book that I'm I'm about that I'm currently writing. uh, Talk about how there's an atheist who's basically I can't deny that slaves survived the, the way they did because of their faith, right? Like faith played a huge part in slaves surviving. So you, you see over and over the acknowledgement that the faith family, things like that do play a part and that it's hurt. Some folks on the left that they separate themselves for that, for this very, you know, individualism. I think urbanism has something, you can have something to do with it as well. Um, these These are things that need to be talked about, but not because we're getting this, Culture war victory out of it, but for churches to say, how can we help and how can we shine a light on this to bring people back to faith and family and say, no, there's not only the most important spiritual uh, uh, benefit of this, but there also is a very practical life benefit to some of these things too. And I think those are all useful in, in how we approach people when we're talking about the church and trying to bring people uh, into the church.
2: Yeah that that was the the uh you know the other point that I think is really important like, like even because we have this uh intensely bifurcated uh political environment and we are unfortunately in the middle of this culture war it almost does a disservice to the science to use the term conservative as the kind of like catch-all for uh, like who you're describing in the survey because you really are talking about people who are more committed to faith and family and uh community and 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 there may be a little bit lost in in the in using the term conservative because it's not because somebody holds you know like a like a conservative political viewpoint that makes them like you don't get happiness from voting for you know conservative candidates right like the happiness is coming not from your political activity but from these other sort of like social activities that 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 uh cause you i guess to be more inclined to vote conservative but it's not your conservative political activity that's making you happy
1: right right and and i think it's important to note and i said this a little bit earlier to me and really in the black tradition family is nuclear family but it's also been extended family too Yeah. Right. So one of the big differences you see a lot of times when we talk about family in the black community, it includes the nuclear family, but it's also extended family. And I think the body of Christ does well to see it that way as well. Not taking anything away from nuclear family. We know what the foundation of that is, right, of the extended family. But that's important, too. And that means for single people in our uh, congregations that reaching out hey thanksgiving is coming up invite somebody you know invite somebody have them become a part of your family and even some I'll, I'll point this out even um folks in our community who are same sex attracted right that are trying to do they're trying to live they may not have the same nuclear family as you but invite them into those, in into these spaces to be a part of our families and i've learned that from some brothers and sisters uh who 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 are in those situations that have, just how important that is
2: yeah, no doubt. And if if you listen to that type of research and all you gain from it is kind of like a uh, a feather in your conservative cap, um you know like we're happier than the liberals, then I think you will have missed the point at least of what God would be trying to say to us through this um even if it's not the point of the research, right? Like our our goal should be to enhance our society and, and benefit the people in it, not to just notch a victory and celebrate the fact that we're happier than other people, right? Like let's, let's try to move people toward this. And, and again, I, I don't know how they compose the research, but you may miss people and you may group people wrongly if you're only looking at their conservative political activity. Cause the other thing I would say about like black community is that black community uh, has for many decades now been voting uh, democratic but if, if you look at these concepts of you know the importance of family the importance of faith the importance of community one could argue that while voting democrat the black community is a fairly conservative or has been a fairly conservative right. you know small city community and so that that's why i think that word might be problematic in in the discussion
1: it's it's limiting Uh, it's limiting, especially when you're talking about different communities and kind of the, some of the, uh, transitions that, you know, some, some of the, some of the realignments, uh, that, that you're seeing now for sure, man, but, um, check out the, you know, all this stuff, you know, is always going to be in our show notes. So you check it out for yourself. You look at the, you look at the data, but I do want us all to avoid just trying to find stuff that we agree with (laughs) and running with that. Look at all the data. See what makes sense. If you think the smiles of people on their, uh, social media is more you know informative than hey that's you but we did want to get this information to you and let you know man family matters extended family matters let's bring people together uh because we want them to feel better we want them to flourish but we ultimately want them to be saved we'll be right back on the church politics podcast are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the Right Reverend Christopher Butler. Chris, USA Today reports that Biden attracted enormous criticism in July for not only meeting with Saudi Crown Prince, I don't I'm not even gonna try to say that name, whose family Biden once vowed to make pariah, but kicking that that meeting off with the type uh with the type of fist bump that's usually shared between friends. So people didn't like their fist bump. Following this meeting in July, though, Chris, Biden told reporters that based on their discussion, He expected the Saudis to take further steps to boost oil production in the coming weeks. Now, obviously, he wanted him to boost oil production because the more oil that we have, the the prices will go down. Right. Um, Unfortunately, three months after this meeting and after that prediction, Chris, the prince spurned Biden when OPEC decided last week to cut oil production by two million barrels a day. Now, just in case you don't know, OPEC is basically an oil cartel of 13 of the world's major oil exporting nations, and they manage the the oil supply. This move right after the president that, you know, the, the most powerful man in the world comes and has this conversation, they make this move and this move is expected to raise oil prices at the pump potentially delivering a damaging blow to Biden before the midterm elections while helping member who Russia is a member of OPEC, helping member Russia navigate through a partial European ban on Russian oil. Not a good look for Biden. What say you, Chris?
2: Yeah, I mean, I. Have watched this certainly, trying to pay close attention to it. Um, saw the criticism of the president going to have the uh, the meeting with the Saudis. It's certainly going to be a big blow. I mean, I, I think that you know, o- over the uh, over the, the long term, politically, you know, elections, in, in, in my view, come back to like broader structures, and unfortunately for Democrats the uh, the economy is one of those sort of like structural elements uh, that impact national elections. And this certainly doesn't help on that front. You know, I think we as a country have to think more about energy independence um, and all that that entails. Right. So, you know, if we can, it's, you know, it's, it's so unfortunate that every single issue is uh, sort of, thrown off the rails because of culture war and uh, the intense and bifurcated political landscape that we have Um, because we have to be thinking at the same time uh, about, you know, cleaner renewable uh, energy because environment is important. We also have to be thinking about practical day-to-day energy and how you can make a smooth transition. But I think right now people on the left are essentially forced into just talking about renewables and clean energy and the transition uh, people on, on, on the right are sort of forced into just talking about uh, oil production, you know, uh, domestic production and, and drilling and all those types of things. And so it, it, it messes up the conversation that really uh, needs to be happening in a, in a healthier way. Cause it's an embarrassment to uh, like Joe Biden and uh it's it's difficult for the Democratic Party, but we can't miss the fact that Joe Biden's not just a Democrat. Joe Biden is the president of the United States. Um, and so in some ways, it's embarrassing to the United States, not just to the Democrats in the United States. Um, and the way we get beyond that embarrassment and difficulty is that we have to really think through, a a broad and long term energy strategy, which is is uh is a process that's badly complicated by culture war, partisanship, um, and that that's just really unfortunate.
1: Yeah, it's bad. Um this is a misstep by Biden. I think we get why he did it. You get that he wanted to he wanted to do everything he can to control what OPEC might do because it's gonna uh, impact the country. But it, it does it makes him look somewhat weak. Um, That's not what he needed. Uh, We talk about the fist bump, you know, it it is what it is. Gestures like that do matter. Uh, So you do have to watch it. I think his prediction, maybe he shouldn't have come back with that prediction until he had a better feeling for it. I mean, you know, you go talk to these cats, they're playing chess. You can't just come back running and say, I think this is going to end up this way. And then it ends up being the complete opposite of what you said and what you had people anticipating. So All of us can admit it is a misstep, whether it's going to impact midterms. I mean, this when it comes to gas, if this goes up, that hits you directly in the pocket. Yeah. Right. So this goes up right before the vote and folks get hit directly in their pockets right before we're starting to get into the holiday season and and things of that nature. It could it could have an impact, which, again, is maybe a a large part of why Biden did what he did, even though it didn't work. I'll, I'll let you have the last word on this one, Chris.
2: Yeah, I, I think that would be the most unfortunate thing, and I will preface this with saying I do not know. I am not inside of the Biden administration. Haven't talked to anybody inside of the Biden administration. But it would be really unfortunate if the whole um, meeting with uh, with the Saudis was impacted by politics, and it wasn't like I need to go do this because it's the best thing for the country, but I need to go do this because it might. Be the best thing for the party. And I'm not insinuating that that was it, but if if the if the analysis to go have the meeting doesn't work out the same if you remove all the political questions from it, then it's a much bigger misstep. And we'll learn more about that, I'm sure, uh, as as time unfolds. But if that is the case, I think it's a much, much bigger misstep uh, than what we already see.
1: Stranger things have happened, my friend. Stranger things have happened, as we know. Well, as always, we appreciate y'all listening to us, man. It's amazing just to go different places. I had to go speak for the uh, Christian Legal Society last week. Shout out to them. And just to hear so many Christians who listen to our show Who enjoy our show we appreciate all y'all whether you're a democrat or republican or whatever we're just asking that folks be a christian first and that you join this movement don't just stand on the sidelines whether you can give a lot or give a little or whether you can just uh, say something to somebody who goes to your church or or share our podcast with somebody that's what we want we want to see we want to get everybody involved because there's so much work to do as christians in the political uh space so as always and camp There's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time. And. Oh, Lord. I say. King.